hey, I am so glad that you're here today. And, and I know that uh, I say this a, a lot, and we say we believe it's no accident that you're here, but we really believe that. And there's a lot of Sundays where I wish I could just go up to every single one of you, maybe I'll try after the service today, and just look you in the eyes and say, thank you so much for being here. Because we really believe it is no accident that you're here today, and that God has something to say to every single one of us in a very in a very personal way. So um, I'm excited about uh, what God's going to do among us today. If you've got your Bibles, if you haven't turned there yet, let's go to Joshua chapter 6. While you're turning there, uh, it's kind of a smaller book, hard to find. Um, I've got a joke for you this morning, and I have people strategically planted in the congregation to laugh, even if it's not funny, and I won't tell if you're laughing with me or at me. So it'll be great. Uh, it's, it's a win-win situation uh, for me this morning. It's actually more of a story than, than a joke. So um, this, is, this is from a real, actual police report in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, and it says this. So there was an elderly, elderly Florida woman, uh, lady, that did her shopping. And, and, and she's walking out into the parking lot of the shopping center. And when she gets there, uh, gets to her car, she sees four men uh, trying to get into her car. And she just freaks out and she gets scared and immediately she drops her her groceries, her bags, and she pulls out her handgun from her purse and she starts screaming as loud as she can possibly scream. She's like 90 years old and she screams and she says, I... I have a gun and I'm not afraid to use it. And so the, the men just get scared and they don't, they don't think for a second, um, about a second threat and they just get out and they run like mad. And so the old lady's just frazzled and they're long gone. And so she, she gets into the car and she puts her bags in and then she's just shaking so much she can't get the key in the ignition. And then she just gives a little bit and she calms down a little bit and she's not shaking and the key still won't go in the ignition. And, she, and then she kind of looks over and goes, wow, that's strange. There's a lot of like men's stuff in this car and, and basketballs and men's deodorant and really random things. And, and then a few minutes later, she found her own car parked four or five spaces down from that. So then she proceeded to load her bags into her own car. And she says, well, I better go report this at the police station. And she drove down there to report her mistake. And she starts telling her story to the sergeant, and he just is beside himself. He just, he's laughing so much, and he, he, he interrupts her and says, ma'am, and he kind of points her down to the end of the counter, where there are four men, four pale, scared, white, middle-aged men reporting a carjacking by a mad elderly woman described as white, less than five feet tall, glasses, curly white hair, and carrying a large handgun. Needless to say, no charges were filed, but... The moral of the story is, if you're going to have a senior moment, make it memorable, right? (laughs) Amen to that. So there you go. Um, Yeah, it wasn't bad, was it? It wasn't bad. Um, There's been worse here where we've heard crickets, so we didn't hear too many crickets on that one. By the way, that has nothing to do with Joshua and the walls of Jericho, okay? So just if you're going to try to make that, not there. Don't don't make the connection. So Joshua chapter 6. If you're just getting caught up today, we're kind of towards the end of a sermon series called A New Look at Some Old Stories, and we've been in the Old Testament, which makes up about 75% of your Bible. It's just really important that we uh, learn more about who God is and his character uh, throughout it. And uh, we've been discovering that these stories aren't so old. They're actually very new and they're actually very relevant to our lives. And the same is true of our story today. Joshua is the central character in our story today. And so when we arrive on the scene at the battle of Jericho here, I wonder for you what normally comes to mind because a lot of these Old Testament stories have songs. They go with them, and maybe you grew up with this, maybe you didn't, but 
If you know it, just sing along with me. So when you think of it, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down, right? That's what you think of. When we think of Joshua, we think of, and the walls came a-tumbling down, right? I'm not going to play my guitar like Ben did. I, I, can't, I can't do that, that well. But the walls came a-tumbling down, and they did. And they did. But I wonder if that's not really the point of the story. I wonder if we took a, a slightly different look at this story today through a different lens, not through Joshua as being the hero, but through the one who's really been the star of all these stories that we've been talking about the last several weeks, the one who has been working behind the scenes, the one who has always been faithful, the one who has always come through in the clutch. It's, and I think what we'll find is that this story is maybe less about the walls and maybe more about the God who made them come crashing down. And we just might look at this story in a brand new way as if God is at the center of it as an active participant and the hero rather than just what the human characters can do. So let's find out why. Let's find out what that's about. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. We read this. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So let's pause there for a second. What, what seems to be going on? Similar, similar, similarly, that's a hard word to say, to last week, the Israelites are finding themselves in another battle at war. If you remember, Israelites are God's people, and they have been traveling through the desert uh, a long 40-year journey to get to the promised land, but there's one more city, one more battle they have to fight before they get in, and it's the town, the city of Jericho. And before they do, they encounter these great big walls with a gate. The reason it says, and the gate to Jericho, is it's not referring to like the little white picket fence gate that goes around your yard where they could just walk right in. If that were the case, we wouldn't have this story. The fact of the matter is, what Joshua was confronted with was these extremely high walls that form a fortress around the city of Jericho. And I was talking to my uh, setup guys earlier, and I asked them, what do you think 25 feet is? And they thought, well, just to give you a picture here, uh, the top of the, the black curtain that we have there is about 14 feet. So if you uh, almost double that, um, the walls of Jericho were higher than the, the, the roof of this building. Okay? That's pretty high. You might think, oh, that's not too bad. But it's the walls that made them tough. The walls were said to be about 15 feet Thick. So just to give you an idea, Mark, hold that for me for a second there. Just to give you an idea of what like, that looks like. There's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Now, how thick are walls normally, right? <laughs> About that thick, right? Some drywall in your house, right? That's how thick the walls of Jericho were. So you can see just barging through them is not going to happen. Let that go without killing me. really handy around the house. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a handy man. So that just, yeah, thank you very much. I'll be here all morning. Um, that's how thick they were. So Joshua's staring at 25 uh, foot walls. He's staring at walls that are 15 feet thick all the way around the city. And not only that, inside those walls are an army of Canaanites that are considered to be invincible. That's what awaited the Israelites. And I don't know if you're, if you're catching a trend in these stories the last few weeks. God loves to have the odds stacked up against him, doesn't he? Right? Very rarely in these stories do we hear, and there was three Canaanite guards guarding the river, and the Israelites shot them with BB guns, and they crossed over, and, 
everybody lived happily ever after, right? It's almost like God loves worldly opposition to build up to the point where there's no way from a worldly standpoint that his people can win. And so he has to come in and save the day. And I I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason. God loves a bit of drama. He loves that. God loves a good story. He's the author of the story after all. And so the very first thing that we learn about our hero, God, is that in this story, he is unfazed by the enemy. God is unfazed by the enemy. We might look at that and say, wow, you know, that's overwhelming and the odds and it's big and it's scary. But God's not phased, and because of it, he takes action. Verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have, speaking in past tense, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Do you see what God just did? He just guaranteed Joshua the victory. He just said, you're going to win no matter what. He doesn't give Joshua any instructions. This is before all that. The very first thing that God says is, you see that enemy in your life that seems overwhelming to you? It's over. (laughs) The battle is already won. If, if, that, if that's not really registering in your head, well, think about it this way. So there's a little football game going on this afternoon. I don't know. You might have heard about it. So, um, but as opposed to this battle between the Israelites and the Canaanites, we know what side God's on, right? The Jews, the Israelites are his people. So God's on their side. But unfortunately, we're not guaranteed who's going to win the game later today because God's team, the Bears, are not playing. So it gets a little bit more confusing um, you can send your complaints uh, to tiffany.annenson at hopewdm.org. So the Bears aren't playing, and so we don't know exactly who's going to win, but imagine this. Imagine God shows up uh, and talks to Tom. Tom Brady is the, the quarterback of the Patriots. There he is, number 12 there. So imagine with me that just like God showed up to Joshua, God shows up to Tom Brady and says, Tom, I know that you've been working your whole life, you've been working the whole season, the last couple weeks to prepare for the big game, for the Giants, but Tom, I am guaranteeing you a victory. It's over. The game's already won. All you you have to do is just do it my way. And Tom's kind of scratching his head going, what? Are you serious? Guaranteed? And God says, yeah, 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 I know. I know all about the Giants. I know all about their, their big, tall linemen that seemed like they're about 25 feet high and 15 feet thick. I, I know all about that. I know that, that Eli Manning is an idol worshiper like the Canaanites, and don't quote me on that. Um, and, and I know all that, but I'm guaranteeing you victory. I'm guaranteeing that you're going to win. If you're Tom Brady, how are you feeling at this point? Pretty confident, right? God just said, it's in the bag. You've got it. Now, Tom also might be feeling a little freaked out that God really cares that much about football, but that's besides the point. Uh, So the same way that Tom Brady's feeling is the same way that Joshua is probably feeling. Some confidence, don't you think? Not confidence in his own ability, but confidence in the God who is sending him into battle. Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a God that was behind us saying, no matter what comes your way, you can trust me? Wouldn't that be amazing if we had a God like that? If we had a God that says, you can trust me because I'm stronger than anything that you're going to face. And the amazing thing is that we do. And this is not some sort of like positive thinking or, or self-help thing, but when you walk into each day, is your mindset going into each day confidence and saying, I have victory in my life today. 
I have victory. Or do you go into each day with the mindset of defeat? This is not about self-confidence and boosting yourself up. It's about confidence in a God who looks at walls that are 15 feet high and 15 feet thick and says, that's nothing. That's nothing for me. I parted the Red Sea. (laughs) That's nothing for me. We've been through this before, Israelites. That's nothing. So what about us? What about you? If Christianity literally means in Christ, as a Christian we are in Christ, that means that you and I live in the same strength that Joshua lived in that day. Would you believe that even when you don't feel like in your life like you can take another step, that when you don't feel like you have any more strength, God says, I'm strong. I am strength. That even when you don't have all the answers, he does. That when your fears overwhelm you, God is never phased by the enemy. Don't forget, Christianity is not for those who are strong enough. Christianity is for those who know they're not strong enough. Christianity is for those weak people with wobbly knees that can't stand any longer on their own strength and who hold out their arms and surrender and give up and just let themselves go and just fall back into the arms of a loving Savior who is always strong enough. Again, either the the battle of Jericho today is either going to stay as a nice little story in the Bible that doesn't have anything to do with your life, or it'll become a glimpse. It'll be a little portal into the character of God. Think about it. How do you get to know somebody in your life? If you're going to develop a friendship with somebody and get to know their heart, what do you do? You spend a lot of time together, right? talk on the phone, you hang out, you do stuff, you share life experiences together because you, you need to get to know their character. You get to know their character over time. That's why we read these stories. That's why it's so important to not say, oh, the walls came tumbling down. <laughs> Who's the God behind this story and how do we get to know him on a real personal level? We have that opportunity today. And... And so I just have to, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is that you're going through today. I don't, I don't know what it is that got you distracted, that, that has that's weighing you down or, or whatever burden or even what, what sins or what darkness might be clouding over your life. And I was thinking and praying through this this week. Paul's words to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 came to mind and he says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? Paul says, in in response to whatever it is that you brought in here with you this morning, what shall we say in response? And it's this, and let's read this together from Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you believe that he is for you today? That the God of the universe is on your side. He's for you. He's fighting for you and with you. He's for you, but he's also against anything that would steal, kill, or destroy his life and the intimacy that he's called you to have with him. He's against those things. He's against the lies that you're believing about yourself today. 
You're not strong enough, that you're not good enough, that you're not a good enough husband, that you're not a good enough wife, that you're not a good enough father or mother, that you're not a good enough friend, that you're not a good enough coworker, that you're not pretty enough, that you haven't climbed the ladder of success enough. He's against those lies because he stands in opposition and he's unfazed by the enemy. He's against that secret, that secret sin that you're hiding that's causing you to live your life and guilt, and shame. He's against that. Because it's getting in the way of that intimate personal relationship that he wants to have with you. God says, I'm not phased by anything that you're going through. <laughs> it's not a shocker to me. I know exactly what's coming your way, so give the battle to me. Give the battle to me, and that's exactly what Joshua did. But his tactics, God's tactics in accomplishing that, couldn't be more unconventional. They couldn't be more uncommon. And that's the second thing we realize is that God is not only unfazed, God is uncommon. He uses uncommon methods to get us where he wants in our lives. So back to Tom Brady. Uh, God comes up to Tom. He says, Tom, um, here's what I want you to do. So first play of the Super Bowl this afternoon, I want you to get under center. I want you to hike it. And then I want you to just stand there for a second. I want you to have the rest of the Patriots team line up behind you. And then what I'd like you to do is the Giants are standing there laughing and mocking you and just kind of standing there in bewilderment. Tom, I want you to lead the entire Patriots team, not just those on the field, but everybody from the sideline and all the coaches and trainers. Just form a big line behind you, Tom. And then what I want you to do is just start walking and I want you to march around the Giants. And I want you to do that, and then I want you to do it six times, the exact same thing. I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to push anybody. I don't want you to tackle anybody. I don't want you to call any plays. I don't even want you to score a touchdown yet. Trust me and just do that. Is that weird or what? Yeah. I don't know if, if I'm Tom Brady, I don't know if I'm trusting God on that one. That's about the most unconventional football play you could ever think of. It's like, God, what are you thinking? Like, we need to go. We need to charge. What's all this marching and silent stuff? So if you're Joshua, what do you do when God's silent? What do you do when he says, trust me? What do you do during those seasons of your life where it doesn't seem like God's doing anything? You ever been there? Where you're kind of in limbo, you're kind of in the middle, and God says, just keep marching. Keep walking, keep trusting, keep walking, keep marching. And even if, though, I'm silent, I'm still working. And that was certainly the case. So if you're Joshua at Jericho, God's word has given you quite a bit of confidence, but this is really, really strange. But Joshua does what God says. Back to verse 3, chapter 5, verse, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 3. God says to Joshua, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, this is verse 5, have the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. Oh, yeah, sure, God, right, just, yeah, perfect. It'll happen exactly, that's what I was thinking too. You know, as, as a bright military strategist, that's, that's what I was thinking. You know, we'll just, we'll just march and we'll just have the, all the thousands of guards up along the walls just shoot arrows down at us all day, and that'll work. Why would you think of this God any different than he's been through the history of the entire Bible? 
Why would God stop being uncommon? (laughs) Why would God all of a sudden say, well, here's a worldly plan, and that's not what he does here at Jericho. So God says, Joshua, can you trust me? Can you trust me even when it doesn't make sense? Because God says, if you're going to follow me, and he says it to Joshua and he says it to us, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be things that I'm going to ask you to do in your life that don't make sense from a worldly perspective. They're just not going to make sense. But I'm calling you to do them anyway. And if you have any doubt in your mind about that, God says, let's ask our friend Noah. Remember our friend Noah? There's been a drought for years. There's not a spot of water anywhere. And what does God ask him to do? Could you build a boat the size of a football field? Yeah, because that makes complete sense, right? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. What is going on? Who is this God? Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense until the flood comes. And if you're still having doubts about that, if you can trust this God, let's talk to Abraham. Let's talk to Abraham, who after 90 years finally gets a son. I've been waiting my whole life for a son, and I finally get it, and God says, kill him. What? What? Yeah, take him, up the, take him up the mountain and bring some sticks and set him on fire. It's a sacrifice. You trust me, Abraham? What? And, those of you that have children or will be having children, what, God? Are you kidding? Talk about a test of faith. God, can I really trust you? And I feel like if Abraham was here today, I mean, you know the end of the story. The, the ram shows up in the thicket, and God never intended for Abraham to kill his son. But I think if Abraham was here today, he would say, I was this close to killing Isaac. I think that God can handle your marriage. I think that God can handle your checkbook. (laughs) I think that God can handle your future. You can trust him. You can trust him because he's always faithful. And so you can trust him, Joshua. You can trust him today. And maybe for you, you're saying, I I know, I know, but but God, it just doesn't make sense. And God says, I I know. I I know that it seems like everybody else that's your age or in your season of life is is buying really nice houses and is getting really nice cars and is kind of keeping up with the Joneses. And it's not bad that you're getting that stuff. It's just, what place does it have in your life? And God says, I I know that's what everybody else is doing, but what happens when God says, "Ah, I actually want you to downsize because I want you to live more free. I I want you to loosen your grip on the things that you think really matter. And I want you to give it away. Well, God, things were great until you kind of got up in my grill a little bit, and that it's a little bit too close for comfort. God, God likes to get up in our grill once in a while. Do you trust me? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road with Christianity, and we stop reading the Bible, and we start living the Bible. Tough. But it's what we're called to do. Or what happens when you hear God say, I, I know... I, I know, I, I get it, that, that maybe you don't really see a, a, a bigger purpose in your job right now. I know you're about ready to quit. I know you think you're not making any impact. And I know it doesn't really make sense, but God says, stay there. I want you to stay there. Or flip it on the outside. God, I got a, I got a six-figure job. Everything's going great. And maybe says, God says, leave. What do you do when God says, stay? And what do you do when God says, leave, when it doesn't make sense to do that? What do you do? God never said you have to figure out life on your own. He said, be obedient to what I've called you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. 
you take a step of faith. You take a step of faith, and that's what Joshua does in our story today. Each day, for six days in a row, hundreds and thousands of warriors marching in silence, marching in silence, around and around the walls they go until day seven. Until day seven. Verse 15, if you're following along, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. Verse 16. The seventh time around, are you getting the word seven? It's kind of a big deal here. Um, The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout. Skipping down to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. And everyone charged straight in and took the city. We've heard the song sung many times, right? Joshua at the battle of Jericho and the came a tumbling down and I can just imagine Joshua marching around that wall for six days just getting insults ridicule hurled at him and by the way when we start following and we start being obedient that's going to happen and where is God in the midst of this and I just imagine Joshua standing back watching the walls crumble and saying God said it God did it I believe it What about us today? What is it in your life that you can look at and say, God said it, God did it, I believe it. That's faith. That's obedience. You see, the story could easily end there, right? Great, the walls fell down, that's the end of the story. But I think if we stopped there, we would miss the most outrageous and most crazy part of this whole story, and it happens long before the walls ever come down. You see, God is unfazed by the enemy. God uses uncommon methods to get us where he wants us to go in our lives. But the most amazing thing about this story is that God uses the most unlikely people to carry it out. Long before the walls came tumbling down, God reached down and chose a woman named Rahab. And let's take a quick look at her story. Back to Joshua chapter 2. So just a few pages back in your Bible. Keep your finger in Joshua chapter 6 and let's learn about Rahab. You remember those walls that were really thick? They were 15 feet thick. They were so thick that people lived there. (laughs) And that's where Rahab lived. She lived in the wall, right? Her address was five bricks up and seven bricks over, right? That's where Rahab lived. Why would Rahab live in a wall? Maybe because she was hiding from something. Maybe because she was ashamed of who she was. And so we read, Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So this is before the battle. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute? You guys read the same Bible I am? Of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, uh, wait a minute, God. Uh, To the casual observer, this doesn't look so good. So uh, Joshua sends out the two spies. So what did you guys do last night? we spent the night with a prostitute in her home. Yeah, we talked about faith and spiritual things. Yeah, that's what we did. Yeah, right. You know, this doesn't look so good. The Bible's not rated G. I'm sorry to tell you. There's G-rated Bibles, but not the Bible that you have in front of you. It's probably not rated G. I love what Ben said a couple weeks ago. Is God safe? No, of course he's not safe. He's going to use a prostitute to change this entire battle because God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his plan. If you're Joshua, you don't want your spies hanging out here, but we have a God that uses unlikely people. Watch what happens. Verse 11, Rahab speaking, she said to them, 
The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. You see what Rahab's doing here? She's saying, I, whatever you got going on out there, I, I want to be a part of it. I, I'm scared of your God, and so I, I'm repenting. I don't want to do this life anymore. And so the, the spies respond to her in verse 14. If you don't tell what we are doing, because they're spying on the city, we will treat you kindly and faithfully. Verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window. I don't want you to miss what happened here. Of all the people that God would use, of all the people that the spies could meet, it's Rahab. It's Rahab, a lady of the evening, if you will. <laughs> and not only does she give them a great spot in her house to spy into the city, she gives them some critical information for the battle that they later take back to Joshua that's exactly what he needs. Rahab? Really? Of all the people, the outcast, the dirty sinner, the rejected, the judged. You ever known somebody in those shoes? Have you ever been that person? You ever been the one that people point their fingers at and say, not good enough. Kick to the curb. Rejected. You see, it's often, I think, when we feel the farthest away from God that he's actually the closest he's ever been to us. God says, I'm right there and I haven't given up on you. Please trust me, I haven't given up on you. And take it from Rahab. God loves to take your flaws and redeem them. He loves to take your flaws and redeem them. In fact, God, God's in the business of taking those people that you and I would normally judge and point our fingers at and say, there's no way that that person could ever be a leader. There's no way that that person could ever make an impact for the kingdom. People like me that are put together and have my spiritual life in order, well, I'm a leader, and so I'm going uh, to make a difference. But them, let's just stay away from them. It's those people that we see all throughout God's story. God uses over and over and over again. Think about it. You've got Abraham who, uh, well, he commits murder and lies over and over again. You've got David with his adultery. You've got Moses who is a murderer. You've got Peter, Jesus' disciple, that lies all the time and denies him three times. All throughout Scripture, what is God thinking? If we were having a small group interview time to see which biblical characters would qualify to be a leader in the church, it'd be pretty rough. In fact, we did one this last week. So let's see which biblical characters are qualified to be used by God. Let's take a look. All right, next up, um, King David. Thanks for coming, King David. What qualifies you to be our next small group leader? <clears throat> what was that word you used uh, before my name? Uh, King? Yeah, King, right. How many of those am I up against? My strengths. Uh, plagues. I'm pretty good with the staff. Can't decide who gets the last brownie? Cut it in two. Boom. Wisdom. Um, parting large bodies of water. Desert survival skills. Weaknesses. <laughs> Weaknesses. <laughs> Mountain climbing. Um, commandment retrieval. Does that look weak to you? And I can make a pretty mean goat sausage. 
Okay, I mean, maybe haircuts. Women. Whose isn't? <laughs> so I lied. I said my wife was my sister. They were going to kill me. <laughs> Why are we even getting into this? I'm just not sure we're comfortable with you in a leadership position. Look, it, it, Jesus Christ himself called you Satan. He was trying to make a point. Get thee behind me, Satan, I believe is the exact quote. Bathsheba. I knew you were going to go there. It was a rock to the back of the head. I really regret that it happened. Okay, timeline. Um, first I slept with his wife. No, 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 no. I didn't kill Christians. Then I lied to him. I was just watching people's coats. Then I had him killed, okay? They killed Christians. It's a long time ago. Besides, that was a different guy. That was Saul. <laughs> I've ever killed anyone. Why? You got somebody giving you beef? Huh? You need something taken care of? Where's the app? Yo, bring it, huh? Didn't you deny Christ three times? No. Well, I'm pretty sure you did. No. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Uh, no. Okay, I did. No, I've never killed anyone. Why would you even ask that question? This is the guy. Hold on, I... I mean, I do have some questions about my qualifications. I've never been to seminary. Oh, you'll do fine. I really don't have a whole lot of experience. Do you love God? Yeah. Do you want to help people? Sure. Do you have a harem? No, I don't have a harem. <laughs> All right, we're good then. Thank you. Well, let, me, let me think about this Perfect. first. <laughs> oh, 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 got her. Oh, wait a second. Look who has them. Still got the tablets. Oh, there you go. Still have the tablets, right? Did you see good old Greg there at the end? Good old Greg, right? He's thinking, am I really qualified? Right up next to all these people? I, I hope that you get a brand new perspective. I mean, we chuckle a little bit, but wow. What's God thinking? Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the Bible that you're holding this morning. And now... Rahab. And so I wonder, why can't God use you? Why can't God use you? What, what excuses do you have to, oh, okay, John, that's a beautiful sermon you just gave, but you don't get it. You see, I'm kind of new. I've just been coming here to Hope Des Moines the last couple months. I'm just, I'm just kind of checking it out. I like to sit in the back and I, I just, just kind of just blend in. I don't really want to get to know anybody. And you want me to join a small group? Are you kidding me? That would be so embarrassing. Well, whoever said that small groups were museums for saints? And maybe it is that the very thing that that group needs is your genuine, real, tangible friendship that has nothing to do with your goodness. Okay, John, that's great for her, but, but you see, for me... I'm a man, and I come from a family where men, well, we just don't share our feelings a lot. That's just not what we do. And it's because we're guys, and we talk about guy stuff, like the Super Bowl and like snow removal and stuff. You know, like we, we don't talk about things that really matter. You know, like I just, oh man, John, you don't want me mentoring some elementary kid and pouring my life into them because they really desperately need it. You don't want me doing that. God, oh, man, God, you don't, you don't want me pouring into some younger man in the church because I just, I'm a guy and well, that's just not how we do it in my family. Who said you had to fit the mold? Who said you had to live in your past? 
Oh, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too new here, I'm too far away from God, I'm too busy. And God says, let me take you back to that wall in Jericho one more time, and let me remind you that you don't get to decide how qualified you are to be a part of my kingdom. In fact, let me just be really honest for a minute. This may sound strange, but when I was thinking about Rahab, I was thinking about us as a church. You're like, okay, where's he going with this, right? I love it. I love it that we are a church of ordinary people that God is using to do incredible things. You have no idea the impact that you are making as a church and all the other people that were here at the first service. We're, we're one body, and God is using you to do some pretty incredible things. And just like Moses, and just like Joshua, and just like Rahab, we've got some flaws. You're messed up people. All of you, okay? Including me. That was supposed to be funny. Don't take it too seriously, okay? We're messed up. We're imperfect. We're broken people, just like all these people we've been reading about. But I want you to know something. I just get off my notes for a second. Four years ago, when I started this church, beyond anything else that we ever accomplished or anything that we did, it was my dream that we would be the kind of church where everybody's in the game. There's no hierarchy where it's like, well, they're the pastor and they're the worship team and we're going to sit back here and consume. My dream for this church, my one dream for this church was that everybody plays, that nobody's on the sideline, that everybody's in the game, that we would be the kind of church that is the church, not just comes and attends church, because anybody can do that. And nowhere in the New Testament do I see, go start a worship service, period. I don't see that anywhere. And so I don't, that's not how we want to model the church. Let's be the church, not just go to church. That was my dream for this church. You know, I was just thinking this week. I'm just like, I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for you as a church. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of things happen behind the scenes around here. I get inspired by it because God is on the move through you. And just the last couple of weeks, uh, 15 guys signed up to be a part of our uh, Building Brothers group that's teaching men how to be servant leaders. We have more women's groups right now than we've ever had. Just uh, yesterday, a few of those groups went down to an inner city ministry and helped clean out this place where we're going to do core, this ministry down there where they reach out to our handicapped brothers and sisters. Some of you are here today. A lot of people were here at the first service because somebody took the time to go pick them up. There's 50 people at the earlier service today that would not be a part of this church if somebody didn't say, I'll serve. I'll go pick them up. God's given me a car, not for me, but for people that don't have one. That's why I love this church. That's why I love leading this church. It's because even when ministry gets hard, and trust me, sometimes it does, I just look around me and I see God changing lives. I'm like, that's what it's all about. It's not about how fancy or perfect or put together we are. God changes Lives And my deepest desire is that every single one of us would look at the story and say, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, that's not just some story on a shelf. That's my story because I believe that God still changes lives and God still uses imperfect people to do incredible things. And it's never been about us. 
It has never been about us, how good we are, how much we can attain, how much social justice we can do, how many good things we can do for the city, how many Bible studies we can start, how spiritual we can look. It's never been about any of that. It's been about us looking to God, keeping him as the center, as the hero of this story, being overwhelmed with his glory, and then looking at our lives and say, God, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. And in response, we want to respond to your grace. That's what this is all about. That's what it will always be about. That's what Rahab did. That's what Rahab did. You see, during their encounter Towards the end of it, Rahab asked the men, how will I know that I'm safe? And the men said, well, Rahab, you got a nice little outfit on there, which you can only imagine what she was wearing. Rahab, the prostitute, so she takes off a red velvet cord. And she says, this will be it. They said, give us a sign. She'll say, I'll hang this from my window, and that's how you'll know to keep my family safe. And then she let him down. And uh, we read later on in the story that after the walls came crashing down, there was one family that survived, and it was Rahab's, the sinner, the despised, the rejected, the loser, saved by the grace of God because she said, help, because she lowered down her crimson rope and said, God, I need you her scarlet cord. (laughs) You know, we often write our sermon series long, long in advance, and then God shows up. I was thinking this week about the word scarlet and uh, Rahab's cord, and I remembered this verse from Isaiah (laughs) where God says, Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. They will be as white as snow. As white as the snow that covers the city of Des Moines this morning. I don't think it's any coincidence that God says, boom, (laughs) just a little nudge, just to remind you one more time, just to remind me, God says, remind them about Rahab. God says, tell them about Rahab. (laughs) Tell them about that, that scarlet rope. And tell them I've washed them clean. That just like Rahab, there's nothing that they could ever do to make me stop loving them. That would make me not forgive them. And God speaks this truth into Rahab's life. I will wash you clean. And he speaks that into our lives as well. Maybe it's time you and I hang out our scarlet cords before God this morning. And say we don't have it all together. God, we're coming back to you. Isn't it amazing that when we focus on God as the main character, that we end up finding our place in the story as well? We're the ones who can know this God who's unfazed, who's uncommon, and uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his mission. Now that's your story. That's a great story.